Welcome to the CGOB Sports Show podcast. Bob Irving stops by to break down what happened in the Labor Day Classic. Oh, the Bombers were so close. So close. Also, Calgary looked kind of scary. Labor Day game, didn't they? Yeah, they looked pretty good. Also, Winnipeg Ice wrapping up their training camp. We'll talk to the director of scouting, Jake Heisinger. And the MLB stretch drive is upon us. It's September, folks. Jamie Bettens of the MJBL will join me to break down the stretch drive on the podcast. And we're joined by the one and only Bob Irving. Bob, did you spend the day watching CFL football today? I did. Yes, I did. And I was very impressed with Bo Levi, Christian, and his return to the Calgary lineup. He looked uh, he looked just like the old Bo Levi, like he'd never missed a beat in the Stampeders dominated the Eskimos and uh, so Edmonton heads home now six and five Calgary I think Calgary six and four aren't that's they? correct yep uh, yeah um yeah I was very impressed with Calgary and then I thought that uh, Toronto might get a rare win as they jumped out to a halftime lead on Hamilton but man oh man the Argos in the second half couldn't move the ball their defense is not very good to begin with mm-hmm. and they were just shredded by the Tiger Cats and so Hamilton is uh, off and running to another win, and the poor old Argos sink even further into the abyss. Yeah, I like the uh, the throwback boats though on the Argos helmets. That was good, nice to see. <laughs> you gotta you gotta grasp onto something. The ship the is Argos, sinking, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. before we get to the bombers, just one note, last note on Calgary. I know we've talked about how there's no dominant team this year, but yeah. watching that game, it kind of felt like, uh oh, I think Calgary's. Calgary might be back here, and Calgary might again be the team to beat. I know that there's still lots of time left and lots of games left, but that looked real good from Calgary today. Yes, they did look very good. I tell you what, Christian, the way the West is shaping up, and we've been saying this now for a few weeks, but it's driven home even more, I think, by what happened today. Winnipeg, Calgary, Saskatchewan, Edmonton, it is going to be a horse race Mm -hmm. right to the end. Now, those those four teams are all going to be in the playoffs. One of them will be a crossover team. I think that's pretty well certain right now. Uh, but how they finish, man, oh, man, it's going to be up in the air. And had the Bombers been able to uh, squeak that one out in Regina yesterday and then complete a sweep, they'd have had really one foot in the door for a first-place finish at 10-2. and And now they face a rematch with the Riders on Saturday where, you know, the onus is really on them to get that one or or the – fight for first place is more wide open than it's been all season long. I guess what it could have should is kind of the theme whenever you lose, but especially yesterday, the Bombers looking back at that game and thinking, oh, we lost by two. There are so many opportunities, whether yeah. it was the Streffler interception on the hitch pass or the fake field goal that worked, but then they ended up losing 17 yards and punting or the fact that the defense just didn't do its job on the final drive. You're I guess, day later thoughts. You said you've watched the film after that game yesterday. Yeah, well, the fake field goal, first of all, I think was a great play, and it got them a first down. I agree. Yeah, I believe the next play was the, um, uh, they were called for grounding, and that's how they lost all the yards. But, you know, you want to go in and score a touchdown there, so the the fake field goal was great, uh, as it turned out. Uh, They didn't get a chance to kick it, but that had really nothing to do with the fake what I did was I, well, the first quarter, you know, when you go to Regina on the Labor Day weekend with the Bombers, you, there's kind of this impending sense of doom that is in the back of your <laughs> mind because of what's happened over the years on right. that weekend. And then the Riders run out to the 10 nothing lead and the Bombers look uh, like they're, you know, rattled. I thought uh, Chris Trevler in the, in the early going and especially the pick that he threw yeah, in the first quarter, he, he just looked very unsettled. 
Uh, and so it's 10 nothing. The Bombers have minus 10 yards of offense <laughs> in the first quarter. And, you know, you get this feeling that, uh-oh, this could get ugly. But to the Bombers' everlasting credit, uh, Christian, and this is the way I view the game, I see it glass half full. You know, they come back and they finish with, well, I mean, for the last three quarters, they had about 350 yards of offense. Now, that hasn't happened very often to that this team this year. And to do it in that environment, which is tough to play in for a visiting team against a very good defense, I think is impressive. So what I take away from that game is I think the Bomber offense improved. I think Chris Trevler improved. I think he grew in his sixth career start. You know, he threw for, what, 161 yards, and he had that long throw to Dembski that's it's going to be a home run if Strebler doesn't get hit in the third quarter because Dembski's seven or eight yards behind right. the defensive back, and they get a pass interference and a big gain out of it. But I think that's a touchdown if, Streb- if Strebler doesn't get hit on the play, and that's why the ball came up short. And then they ran the ball well, as they, as they always do, uh, and Strebler got his share of that. The defense uh, in the first half, not so good, but in the third quarter and 12 minutes of the fourth Saskatchewan had four possessions and gained I think about 30 yards in total offense and then possession five from their own five yard line they run it right down the Bombers throats 11 plays 87 yards and so you know I know the fans just throw their arms up and go man oh man can't we make a stop when it matters, and, and they couldn't yesterday. Now, I've watched those last three minutes very carefully today because I, I wanted to see, Christian, you know, what the Bombers did wrong. Where was the breakdown? You know, did they miss tackles? Were guys, did they blow assignments? And I didn't see any of that. What I, what I saw was some great execution by Saskatchewan, and so I'm going to give them all the credit in the world. Uh, Fajardo made some beautiful throws. His timing was great. The Bombers blitzed on one second and long. Remember the pass to Shaq Evans, mm-hmm. a little slant pass. You know, Fajardo does a great They, I think the Bombers sent seven on that play, but he made a, a beautiful throw to Shaq Evans. They got the first down. And then the, the first run by Powell, well, the two runs by Powell, there were two great blocks by Saskatchewan's fullback. Uh, Adam Bighell had one of those runs. He had it read beautifully, but he, he just got blocked out of the play. And and then Powell made a, a move. Rios was coming over on one of those plays to stop it. And Powell, you know how they dropped their knee, what do they call it, the dead leg thing. And, and Rios got leaning one way and Powell went the other. And Powell can do that. I mean, he's he's a very shifty running back. And, and so he gained, you know, a lot of yards on that and put him in field goal range. So I give the Riders more credit than I do the Bombers blame. And I wouldn't always look at it that way, but based on what I saw, I thought Saskatchewan just did a masterful job in that game-winning drive. Now, people will say, well, the Bombers, you know, they laid off and they played that soft-to-prevent type defense. So I don't think that's the case. You know, when you're up by two, uh, you can't play that way because you know a field goal is going to lose you the game. Right. So, you know, I just give the Riders credit. I think they made the plays when they had to. And, no, the Bombers did not make the plays on defense. But overall – you go into there on that weekend, and it's a difficult atmosphere to play in. Uh, I thought they came out of it with a lot more positives than negatives, if you could possibly say that, when a team loses a game. Well, and it's just the circumstances and how rarely they win it. It felt like, oh, that was so close. We, we, we almost had it, and now you think, well, if they won that, they'd be closer to winning the West, and if they win the West, it's a lot easier to get to the Grey Cup and a lot of these ifs, ands, but we got to remember, it's September 2nd. There's still a lot of football to be played. Yeah, that's very true. But it, but it was a loss that, uh, 
that hurts. Mm-hmm. It hurts the fans, obviously, because, you know, they just so desperately want the Bombers to beat the Riders, and they were oh so close and for a moment thought they had it. Uh, for the Bombers themselves, uh, they know they kind of let it slip away, and it's tough to win there, and they had a great chance to, to do it, uh, but they couldn't quite pull it off. But they'll come home uh, angry, you know, I, I think feeling that they let one get away, there were some things that happened in the game that will, you know, I think inspire both teams. But it's hard to sweep this series. So I, I think the Bombers have an edge going into the Banjo Bowl. And let's not forget, they're playing without their number one quarterback and without Andrew Harris. And we know what he, what he means. And look, Augustine did a nice job running the ball. The one thing we you can't measure with Andrew not in there is is how it affected the passing game and the blocking and, you know, and making sure everybody's in the right place on offense. And and I don't know how Augustine did in that regard. He certainly without the experience that Harris had, wouldn't have been able to do some of the things that Andrew does. So all those things considered uh, again, I I think there were a lot of positives for the bombers yesterday. And if they can come back and and play well again, and uh, now they took some penalties too, Christian, which is uncharacteristic for them. They took 10 penalties. Some of them were very damaging uh, three of them on special teams, and they have the fewest special teams penalties of any team in the league, and those cost them valuable field position, which could have, you know, cost them a field goal or two. So, you know, there's a few things they can clean up and, and come back and play a similar type of game, and I don't see any reason why they can't beat the Riders here on Saturday. A lot of... Uh what goes into a defensive struggle is field position. We saw that early in the game when the Bombers couldn't escape their own end. Right. But the difference between John Ryan and Justin Medlock in the punting game, John Ryan averaging 53 yards a kick, Medlock just under 38. How big a deal is that? Well, it's a big deal. Uh, Justin Medlock did not have his best game. He didn't have a very good game. He shanked one. Uh, He just didn't kick very well. Now, I don't, Chad Rempel went out of the game in the first quarter on that uh, hit he took when he snapped the ball. You said it was controversial so, and got some heat for that. Yeah, well, I did. I, I did say it was. I've watched that over and over again. I know people in Regina are giving me action, but they always will. A rule. Yeah, I don't. I don't. Understand, I understand that. When I go on Twitter, I know I might get blasted, <laughs> but that, that doesn't bother me. Um, there's a rule, and it was put in this year, and it was actually amplified, and it said that the long snapper is in a vulnerable position and when his head is still down after snapping the ball, you can't touch him. You just cannot touch him. So what they're telling me in Saskatchewan is, well, yeah, Rempel had lifted his head up. Well, I've watched it over and over and over again and slowed it down. He snapped the ball. And as he was lifting his head up, Edwards of the writers had already committed to drilling him. So I'm interested to see what the league does about that because that hit knocked Rempel out of the game, and I think it was a cheap shot. And I know Mike Gilshea went crazy on the sideline over it, and he was still upset about it when they came out at halftime that it wasn't called uh, for roughing. So I'm curious to see what the league does. But back to my point with Medlock, and I know, you know, Medlock's a very particular guy, and you know, the snaps were good after that, but they're not quite as good as, as when Rempel does them. So I don't know if that threw him off. I'm not trying to make excuses for him. He did not punt very well. Okay, bottom line, he just didn't punt as well as he normally does. And that did play a role in the game, no question. Lots to talk about on the coaches show tomorrow night, I imagine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we got a lot of a lot of things to roll around. We'll see how deep uh, Mike will get into some of that stuff. I expect he... Well, I don't know what he'll say about the, the Rempel thing, but... Uh, you know, while well, you heard the comments on our post-game show yesterday, 
I think overall he was quite pleased yeah. with the way his team performed and, and how hard they fought and all the rest of it. And, and I just, I don't know how often I can say this, but playing in that atmosphere is very challenging. It, and the riders are always tough at home, but in particular on the Labor Day long weekend, the fans, Christian, are more, they're more riled up. They're noisier than any other game that's ever played in there. And it's just a difficult environment to play. And the Bombers, I thought they fought that, that part of it very well. All right, Bob, we'll see you tomorrow night. Okay, Christian, thanks. Training camp for Winnipeg Ice wrapped up with the training camp showcase game yesterday at the Rink Training Center. And joining me now is Jake Heisinger, Director of Scouting and Hockey Operations. Jake, thanks for joining me. How are you doing tonight? Good, Christian. Thanks for having me. So how would you categorize the training camp experience for the Winnipeg Ice? You know what? It's been a good camp so far. Um, a number of guys uh, put in a lot of work here over the summer. And, um, you know, they've uh, they've shown me uh, they want to be on the team here. So I'm looking forward to, uh, to getting the preseason underway here this weekend. And when are the games? Uh, we play Friday and Saturday against Brandon. Uh, Friday in, in Brandon and Saturday um, in Portage uh, for our home game. So uh, we're looking forward to that. I know you had a lot of these uh, kind of inter-squad games, but how different is the evaluation process when you're seeing those inter-squad games compared to an actual preseason game against another team? Yeah, well, I mean, when you're, uh, when you're playing another team, it, it, it does ramp up. Um, another level. So um, a lot of these guys are, are familiar with, with each other, um, either being in camps with, uh, with one another or playing against each other during their, um, d- during their, their winter season. So um, when you, when you get in a game against another team, it's, um, it's always a, a good chance for, for, uh, for our group to compete and uh, certainly show, um, like I said, some of the, uh, some, some of the guys here that are, that are pushing to make the team show, um, you know, show, show, where they've uh, where they think they can fit in, and certainly um, we're, we're looking forward to to watching them. What have you learned about the team through the few days of training camp you've had? Well, I think it's it's a good opportunity for um, for our young guys that we just drafted to um, experience what a Western League camp is about, and then certainly, uh, like I touched on, a number of guys that are are competing to make the team. So um, you know, all in all, it's gone real well, and I think. Um, been talking with uh, with some of the young guys and and our veteran players. Um, everybody seems to be enjoying the experience so far. So, is it possible to develop chemistry during training camp that you can carry over into the regular season? Well, I think during training camp and preseason, it's an opportunity um, for, for for guys to to compete for spots in the team, and then certainly um, if the coaches want to see uh, certain guys play together that, that's uh there's an opportunity for that as well so um i think when you get into preseason um there's there's a few different dynamics going on but but overall um you know we're pretty pleased with how everything's gone so far and looking at the current roster structure how many players do you have right now well when when you talk about a, a roster um you know there's there's different I guess dynamics when we're putting together um, putting together the team. So um, we have guys that are competing for spots, and um, another a, a number of veteran players that are competing for more more ice time than they had last season. So um, you know that'll uh, that'll play out here over the next uh, next two weeks of preseason. So when I, when you say you've got 
players trying to make the team, how many spots are available to those players? Well, there's, I wouldn't say there's a number of spots available. It's, it's more so um, guys that are coming and, and showing um, that, they, that they're ready to play or, or they, they feel they're ready to play. And certainly um, we, we've been watching and keeping a close eye on a number of guys and um, pretty pleased with, uh, with some of the young guys that have, um, that have come to camp and, and are pushing to make the team. And for those that you end up saying, you know, thanks for coming, but we're not, we're going to go a different way. What kind of feedback can you give to those players that, and maybe they come back next year and they give it a shot again? Yeah, well, um, when, when, when a player doesn't make a team, it's not always because um, you know they're they're not uh, they're not good enough. A number of times, it's, it's because um, they're they're younger and, and they're just not. Uh, they need another. They need another year uh, to develop and, and to play with uh, with their own age group or or in um, in, in a team where they can play different roles. So um, whenever you whenever we do release a player or talk to a player and, and reassign them, um, there's a number of conversations that take place, and um, you know those uh, th- those will happen um, over the next uh, next number of weeks here. But um, like I said, uh, preseason here is kind of the first uh, first main test for everybody. So when we look at that first game Friday against the Wheat Kings and then again the next day at Stride Stride Place in Portage, are the lineup structures going to be the same? Do you change it up? Does the coach play some people more one night, some the next? How is that going to work? Well, yeah, we still have to discuss um, a little bit about what the the lineups will will look like. Um, Certainly, uh, it won't be the same lineup both nights, but um, a number of guys... Um, we'll get an opportunity to play and, and, and show um, show the coaching staff where they're at and, and certainly um, a good experience for those young players, um, whether they play here or not this year, to uh, to play in a Western League preseason game. A lot of people know Matt Savoy's name as he's at training camp. What did you think of his performance through, was it, four days of training camp? Yeah, Matt's been real good. Um, certainly excited to have him here, and I think um, – you know he's he's getting comfortable and and familiar with uh, with the city and and his and these guys here. So um, yeah, he he uh, you know we watched him all year and and certainly he showed uh, he showed at camp um, you know the dominant player that he is and and um, we're looking forward to working with him here. Now yesterday the uh, training camp showcase game goes to Team White in overtime. Was it a f- a fun experience that Jarrett stole cup? Yeah the the showcase game yesterday was uh it was a real good game um the team team black tied it up uh tied it up late and then we went to uh went to overtime so um i think the kids had a lot of fun playing in that game and um i think for for, for the young guys that uh that headed home after the game um to, to play with their their club teams for the season it was uh it was a great experience for them. now in terms of the fan that showed up how many people came to the rink to watch that it was just over 600 people, so um, it, was, uh, it was a real good crowd. And, um, you know, I, I know the guys had a lot of fun playing um, in, front of a, in front of a packed building. So, um, you know, we really appreciate the, appreciate the support and look forward to, uh, to seeing the fans here um, during the regular season. So you've got less than three weeks to go before puck drops on the regular season in Brandon. Is that three weeks going to fly by? Yeah, it always seems to for sure. So um, I know the uh, the coaching staff is looking forward to to, to implementing some systems and, and getting things underway. And um, like I said, 
preseason here is um, is, is a good opportunity to, uh, to to see where some guys are at, and, and certainly a good opportunity to, for us to uh, to see where we're at. So um, we're looking forward to it. Well, Jake, I appreciate your time tonight. Uh, good luck in the preseason games coming up. Anytime. Thanks for having me. The major leagues. It's been mostly the favorites winning today. The teams that are in good position to win a playoff spot winning their games today. Toronto losing to the Braves 6-3. Philly beating the Red 7-1. Philly right now out of the playoff picture, but not by much. The Twins beating the Tigers 4-3. The Mets getting past the Nats 7-3. Cardinals went again 3-1 over the Giants. Cubs 5-1 over the Mariners. Arizona's in the wild card hunt. They double up San Diego 14-7. Houston beating the Brewers 3-2. The Yankees, one of the favorites to lose at home, but to Texas, 7-0. The first time they've been shut out in 220 games. Second longest streak ever, the longest 308 by the 1931 through 33 Yankees. In that span, the Yanks were shut out. The Marlins were 26 times. And since we are less than one month away from the end of the regular season, Jamie Bettens joins me to set up the stretch drive. He's the president of the Manitoba Junior Baseball League and basically the de facto baseball correspondent of the CGOB Sports Show. Jamie, how excited are you for the stretch drive? Very much so. Uh, without the trade deadline and the the rather the waiver trade deadline, I think it's made it a little more exciting because now teams have been what they have going to be, I guess, going into this and and everybody's kind of loaded up and the focus is on it right now. So all the games are so meaningful. There's no easy outs anywhere around the diamond, and it seems to be really exciting right now. Now, I will say this much. There are a number of races that are either done or basically done. The Dodgers are going to win the West. The Houston Astros are going to win the American League West. The Yankees have locked up that division. Atlanta is six and a half up on the Nats. That's a decent cushion. And then Minnesota heading into tonight's game for Cleveland has a six-game lead on Cleveland. So really the... NL Central is the only race that's not the wild card races that's close. Is that not as good for baseball? Well, it's it's tough for those teams like LA and Houston to kind of maintain everything that they've got going into the playoffs. I mean, now it's tinkering and finding little pieces and whatnot. But you know, without that wavered trade deadline, it's it's hard to get another piece or or you know if you're missing something to go. So those teams really have to kind of sharpen their pencils a little bit, rely on their external scouting departments to really do something. And the hard thing is to stay ready. I think, um, you know, when you have these closer races, you're a little more battle tested. And if you've been playing playoff type baseball for a month going into the playoffs, that's 10, that's the time when you start to see some of those upsets kind of occur. The the benefit for the Dodgers and, and some of those other teams are that they maybe avoid the wild card and the one game play in, um, and can set up their rotation. So there is an advantage to that, but it's uh, it's not easy on either side of the coin. You're either playing super hard and wearing yourself out, or you're not really motivated and you have to kind of find that switch right uh, come playoff time. Seeing the Yankees, the Braves, Dodgers, Cardinals, Astros doing well is not that big of a surprise. But the team that's geographically closest to us in Winnipeg is the Minnesota Twins. They are 85-52, and 52. Last week, they set the home run record for road home runs in a season, and it was still August. Are you surprised that the Twins seem to be for real? I, I'm a little bit surprised. I, I, I can't say that it didn't surprise me. Um, 
However, when they signed Rocco Baldelli to be their manager, um, heard a lot of talk around the major leagues that he was kind of a player's coach and that a lot of players take a liking to him. He's not too far removed from the game. He was a number one draft pick at one time. So he truly understands the game from a player's perspective. They brought in the right pieces to then, you know, feel comfortable in that system. So once they got together, um, however, I don't think you, you take a look at pitchers like Jake Odorizzi, who, you know, struggled pretty much everywhere they've been until they got to Minnesota and say, you know, I saw that coming. So it, it's a pleasant surprise. And, uh, you know, to be kind of the Minnesota Twins North here in, in Winnipeg, it, it's great for us especially if people want to drive down and catch a game the same weekend that maybe the Vikings are playing or the Jets are playing the Wild, there might be that opportunity to do so if they make the playoffs. Ultimately, it's the wild card races that are usually the most fun, and that's what we've got left in the American League. Right now, the Rays in Cleveland with Oakland a half game out, Boston's five out. In the National League, the Nationals have a a three-and-a-half game cushion on the Cubs, who themselves have a a two-and-a-half game cushion on Philly. The teams that are currently sitting in the wild card, so Tampa Bay, Cleveland, Washington, and the Cubs, which is the most likely to not make the playoffs? You know, I, I find it hard for Philly to to get in. I'm looking at the run differential of, of teams that are in the playoff positions right now, and Philly's one of the few with a negative run differential. So obviously they're they're bleeding kind of, you know, a lot more than a lot of the other teams are. Their pitching's not going to hold up, and, I, you know, with some of their top pitching going down, Jake Arrieta, I think they're going to have trouble, you know, even coming close to Chicago, which is too bad because I don't know if Chicago had the right pieces this year. You know, that being said, anything could happen, but they just didn't do it for me. And then on the other side, you know, Cleveland looks strong, but I don't know why. I, I really like the story behind Oakland year after year, you know, minimal on the payroll but, you know, hustle, heart, and they just seem to build a team every year. And they're full of young players, very talented players. And uh, I kind of want, I'm rooting for them to get in. Um, So if I had to pick, I would probably say Oakland at the expense of Cleveland. as uh, that, That AL Central might be some tough divisional games down the stretch for Cleveland if they have to play against Minnesota. And that might give Oakland in a bit of a weaker division a chance to get in. So just looking at some of the player numbers this year, there's been, you know, the discussion of is the ball juiced? And I I think it is because you're seeing these elevated home run numbers. I think partially it's the approach at the plate, but the ball definitely has something to do with it. Freddie Freeman leads the way with 114 RBI. Is he getting completely underlooked or overlooked, I should say, because of the guys like Bellinger, Alonzo, Yelich, who are raking as well? Yeah, I, I would totally agree with you there. Um I don't feel that the general public is looking at kind of the body of work and, and Freddie Freeman certainly has the resume. And when you look at a prospect, you're always talking about the five tools, you know, and, and the ability to hit for average. You're looking at Bellinger and Yelich and those guys, and you're seeing a lot more of the long ball. And there is production tied to that because if there's men on base, there's a lot of RBI production there, but Freddie Freeman kind of does it all. He's really a leader for the Atlanta Braves and, an MVP to me is somebody that is truly the leader amongst their peers and, and takes their team to a different level. I don't think a lot of people had the Atlanta Braves maybe even making the playoffs. So f- for them to be in the position they're in, um, I, I you know I would fully support him as a, as the MVP candidate in the NL. Definitely a loaded uh, battle there between Bellinger, Yelich, and Freeman. Even a guy like Anthony Rendon who's doing so well for the Nationals in the American League. 
I mean, Mike Trout's numbers are so good every year, but at some point, does the does he got to make the playoffs to keep win- to get in the MVP conversation, or is this just he's just too good? I, 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 he's a video game. He is a human video game uh, for what he does year in year out on a subpar team. Where I, I think the, the support that he garners, you know, is almost because of the team being subpar because. At some point, teams have to figure out he's the only real force that can beat you in that lineup. And so they have game plans to not let him be the guy that beats you. Yet he continues to beat people and beat teams. So for him to do it on a team that really his only protection lies in Albert Pujols and, and maybe a few other you know so-so batters, um, I, I think that's why he keeps getting the nod. But there, there's so many good stories out there this year and it's just hard not to to look at Mike Trout because of what he does so consistently. Now on the mound, Justin Verlander yesterday afternoon throws his third no-hitter of his career, second against the Blue Jays. He is 17-5 and with the two five six ERAs. It looks like he's a shoe-in for the Cy Young Award with a month to go, doesn't he? Well, I mean, he's battling Garrett Cole. He's battling his own teammates at this point. Um, it, it, but it's hard not to, and again, when you have somebody who's as consistent as he in, he is year in, year out, there's not a lot of fanfare around the guy. He just goes out there and does his job. You, you know, you, you like those stories, and the traditional baseball writers that choose these awards seem to gravitate to those guys. It wouldn't surprise me one bit. And he's 36 years old, so he's just continuing to pump it out. He's had a renaissance, absolutely, in Houston, and he's one of the reasons why the Astros might be the team to beat. When you see a no-hitter. Do you still feel like it's a big deal? Absolutely, because so many things have to go right. There's so many opportunities for a ball to fall in or, you know, just to to be even ruled a hit by the uh, statistician up above in the press box. There's so many different things that have to go right for a no-hitter to work. You truly get on that roll. Nobody talks to you on the bench during the whole game, so you're nothing but alone with your thoughts. And, and because it's such a beautiful game of inches, you can leave one pitch, you know, two inches too high or on the belt, and it's in the stands these days. So to be able to get through nine innings, even a, and, and the fact that it was a complete game, um, says a lot about you know his ability to pitch deeper into ball games and be effective without a pitch count becoming an issue. Um, going into the playoffs, uh, teams are very closely monitoring their top starters and their pitch count. So to be able to put all that together, I still think that makes it very special. Might as well have a brief chat about the Blue Jays before we leave this off because there's still reason to go watch them. You've got the young guys like Guerrero, you've got Biggio, you've got Bo Bichette who's been just on fire to start his career. How do you feel about the Blue Jays' prospects right now, the reps that they're getting? I like what's happening right now. And if you're a Blue Jays fan, I think you have to see what's coming. And I think that that's a great thing right now. You're starting to still see, uh, rather, you're, you're seeing great crowds still attending the games. Uh, I believe the September call-ups were announced today, and we're going to see Anthony Kay and TJ Zoic from Buffalo, uh, two top-level picks as far as the pitching goes. Uh, Anthony Alford, Jonathan Davis, and Richard Urania are some other players that are obviously position-based, that they want to see what they have with those guys. I'm interested in the pitching because, the engine of the Toronto Blue Jays is going to be driven by starting pitching. If we can see Zoic and Anthony Kay prove themselves a little bit over the next 30 days or so at the major league level, that will 
tell the fan base, but also the ownership, kind of what they have, uh, also with Nate Pearson and some of the other top players, and, and give them a bit of direction as to who they go after in free agency. I think the Jays are going to be active in free agency and kind of supplant the, the core here of the youth with some veteran pitching uh, to have a strong year and learn how to win a little bit. I think the real patience needs to be had until 2021 when I think the window will officially be open. But uh, down the stretch here, get a good look at these pitching prospects if you're a Blue Jay fan because it's a glimpse, true glimpse into the future because these guys are the ones that are going to be here. Well, that's ultimately the biggest question mark, isn't it, though? Because we've seen that guys like Vladimir Guerrero Jr. and Bo Bichette are so far everything they were cracked up to be, and it seems like the offense of this team is going to be okay, but we don't know if they can keep runs off the board with their pitching, right? It's absolutely as advertised. Those guys uh, have come in, and they've had a a quiet confidence about them. Um, As young as they are, a lot of things in the game just aren't phasing them, and I think that that's attributed to the fact that a lot of these guys are sons of major leaguers. Um, There's another name that's probably two or three years off, and Griffin Conine, whose dad played in the big leagues as well. I think he comes up at some point. But the payroll is at a, at a point right now where they're winning games, they're putting people in the seats, and the, the profitability from a Rogers standpoint it should be at the point where I think that the money is going to be spent on pitching as we move forward. And that's where you may see a big name or two kind of brought in with the money, with the dollars that they're saving, essentially, with these young guys. And, and it's kind of a win-win situation. You're saving money and you're giving these young guys experience at the same time, you're going to have to pay for it down the line. But the money that you're saving now allows you to kind of go after other areas of, of need, and that seems to be pitching. Well, Jamie, I appreciate your time as always, and we'll check in with you once the uh, playoff matchups are all set in stone. Sounds great. Take care. Tune in to the CGOB Sports Show weeknights from 7 to 9 with me, Christian O'Mell, or you can download the podcast on iTunes. It's actually on iTunes now. Wow. If you got an Android, then I dig you're out of luck. But Apple products, you're good. So listen to the podcast. Please subscribe. You can rate it. What's the worst that could happen?